Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. So welcome everyone to the Happy at Work podcast. We are so excited to be joined by Jonathan Gelfand, who is with Mequilibrium or MeQ for those who who might already be familiar with the platform. Welcome Jonathan to the Happy at Work podcast. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to to join you all here today. Excellent. So Let's just go ahead and get started and um, tell us a little bit about you, your career journey, your focus on health and well-being. Just tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I guess I'm one of those stories of uh, not taking the straight line in your career. I think that there is a common thread throughout all the work that I've done over time, starting when I was in college working um, as a hydroceramic sanitation engineer, aka a dishwasher in a nursing home. And then in the summers, I worked as a, a housekeeper in a nursing home during college as well. And then when I graduated, I was a nursing assistant and eventually worked in an Alzheimer's unit um, and began to run uh, the sessions um, in an Alzheimer's unit, learning how to keep people in the moment content, each on their own journeys. And it was a little bit of, uh, I guess, that that chagr- uh, Groundhog Day, if you're familiar with it, learning about what makes people tick and, and really how to help them. And I was interested in um, sort of uh, geriatric care. Um, And I was seeing people at their most vulnerable. And that's always been something that's been of interest to me. I root for the underdog. Um, Back in the day, growing up in New Jersey, New York area, when the Yankees were always winning, uh, because I admired my oldest brother so much. And also because it felt good to root against the team that was always winning. I rooted for the Red Sox at the time. now they've become similar, but I always root for the underdog. And so when people are at their most vulnerable, I, I you know, just felt a connection and an opportunity and uh, desire and, um, you know, to support them. And so helping people with Alzheimer's disease and dementia felt really critical in helping their families. So I went to graduate school and my interest kind of expanded throughout there. Beyond that, and I was thinking about population health and I got to work for this great organization after uh uh, grad school, uh, the Alliance of Community Health Plans, and, and did grant administration for the CDC and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, working on translating research into practice with these amazing health plans um, and helping people with chronic conditions and um, really um, helping deliver better care to people uh, who needed it. And is during that time that I recognize employers have this unique opportunity and responsibility to be able to support their people because they spend their waking hours with them and often their sleeping hours with them were disrupted. Um, and so I became intrigued by the employer's potential to be able to really impact the well-being of a workforce and to inspire that. And so I've spent a career in employer well-being, whether on the employer side, where I led uh, well-being and benefits uh, uh, for Hess Corporation, and ultimately moved to corporate health and safety. But I've, but on the consultant side as well, I worked at Willis Towers Watson, consulting to large multinational Fortune 500 and smaller organizations on strategies around well-being of their workforce. I believed in the power of well-being to drive individual results, but also business results. And then I worked at IBM 
um, where I led uh, workforce well-being globally for 300,000 employees and a million people as a public health person. I mean, that is a, a great population opportunity to have an impact on all those lives, but also on care delivery across the United States as well as across the globe. And that's a really incredibly gratifying work to do. And I, I guess I'd say I've always been um, sort of uh, compelled in my own life to seek to grow and, and be able to become more to um, be able to uh, rise to the occasion. I've been intrigued by that um, and and how to do that. And there was a period of time where I was at the, I was at Hess Corporation and I was uh, exposed to the Human Performance Institute um, that out of uh, Lake Nona, Florida and J&J had acquired them. And the, the concept of a corporate athlete and how to raise your game, how to, learn to intentionally invest your best energy to the people and things that matter most that really became a focus of mine i'll say that again that line was really important to me it's like how to intentionally invest your energy to the people and things that matter most right here right now it has a level of um sort of um mindfulness in there but it incorporates the the you know what are you going to do around physical activity how will you nurture yourself through nutrition, through deliberate eating? How do you address your mindset? Where's your level of purpose in this as well? All of that becomes the um, sort of ways that we lead our lives. And I've continued on that journey of personally and professionally, and I've incorporated that work when I was at IBM and later on um, at WTW, and then now at Equilibrium, where I work because the organization's focused on resilience and seeing that as a, a a core of helping people achieve these things in their lives, not just in the sort of traditional way that we talk about resilience and that may be uh, bouncing back or bouncing forward in the times of adversity, but at MeQ, we recognize that it's in those moments that lead to that and those quiet moments that matter with your family or at work where it isn't always when the stuff's hitting the fan, but at other times too, where you're able to raise your game. And um, so this has been the sort of uh, path that I've taken. It wasn't deliberate to go into uh, sort of employer well-being um, or benefits or corporate health and safety, but uh, you know it's always been this this part of helping people identify their goals and, and navigate the complexities of healthcare and be a part of that in one way or another. That's really amazing, Jonathan. What a meaningful career you've had so far. So just maybe go a little bit. Further with um, what MeQ does, so maybe a little bit more about the purpose of the platform and what you're trying to really influence in organizations. Yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for asking. So Equilibrium MeQ um, delivers uh, resilience to to workforces and, and organizations and sees the power of us as individuals and then as teams and in the, of the organization to uh, be able to rise to the challenges of adulting you know, uh, at, at work and at home. Um, so what uh, we've done is to uh, take the work of Andrew Chate, who's one of our founders, um, and incorporate um, elements of positive psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy. Andrew had worked with Martin Seligman years ago as well. So, you know, we're firm believers that he, you know, he considered by, as the uh, father of positive psychology by many. And, and we've taken that content and created uh, experiences for individuals that are unique to them so they can go on journeys around their their sort of building resilience. And what we've also done is we recognize that um, 
we have to help organizations overall too. So Equilibrium gives an individual journey, but we also help managers. And we focus on managers and leaders. A lot of people sometimes rise to the ranks because they're a great analyst or great at finance or technical skills. It doesn't mean that you have got the skills around empathy, emotion control, positivity, focus. And Equilibrium teaches those skills to people as well. We recognize these 18 factors of resilience and we incorporate them into our um, solution. And we work with HR teams, whether it be leadership development teams to incorporate that into their leadership uh, program or benefits or corporate health and safety or talent. And what we're also able to do is we're a data-driven company. So we are able to give insights to the business about where there may be risks for burnout or turnover or positivity, or where a team may be lacking self-confidence. And so we're able to uncover those items and, and give strategic insights to an organization to support their workforce, to be able to del deliver results in what is increasingly challenging environment to work. And so Equilibrium uh, isn't just a platform that's digital. We offer certainly an experience for people that's digital. We offer coaching, but we also offer strategic support to our clients um, to be able to have an interactive experience that impacts culture. And so I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of that and something that isn't just um, a sort of tactic, but is strategic uh, for organizations who see the power and potential of their people and want to use that to achieve results. Jonathan, this is great. I think we're drinking the same Kool-Aid. I, I studied under Marty Seligman at Penn. And so, yeah, it's it's really inspiring to to meet a person like that, like a literal living legend. And I wanted to ask you with your your work in MeQ now. So you've been in this health and well-being space for for quite some time with a lot of you know deep knowledge. And I'm curious about current trends. What are you seeing that's changing, shifting for good and for bad, and how we're taking care of ourselves at work? What what are you seeing? What's moving here? Well, I think that certainly um, one of the positive, if we could say, there's a positive experience during the pandemic for employers um, and those of us in the well-being field was that the discussion around mind health around mental health became more prominent and research conducted by uh, global consultants recognized that the conversation around well-being is at the c-suite now um, but um, i was delighted at ibm to be part of a, a conversation around mental health and um, I, I saw it as critical, actually, and our CEO at the time had asked, are we doing enough around mental health? And initially, we were like, yeah, here's what we're doing. But I took that opportunity to say, no, there's more we could do. And everyone rallied around it. And I see organizations doing that, addressing stigma more, addressing equity in healthcare, too. Um, so we've been seeing that happen. And, um, you know, organizations... Um, addressing issues that were otherwise kind of never talked about. And that's a challenge too. We've also seen in this period um, a dramatic change in the delivery of mental health, um, you know, EAPs, uh, that, that sort of chassis has been broken for decades. Um, and it was just like you would pay some small amount as an employer and offer the service that was barely used. And there have been some dramatic changes in that. Um, that demonstrate efficacy 
in mental health and also better access for people. But what we're seeing now is that, that that's been you know occurring for a few years. What has been interesting at for me, Q, is that we're hearing from employers that they're looking to address the other 85% of the population more who aren't accessing or needing acute care, but looking to raise the game for them, but need to be able to deliver results for the organization. During the pandemic, it was almost this nice, like you, you could do this without having to justify your investment as much. Ultimately, the CFO is going to come knocking on the door and you need to be able to do that and demonstrate outcomes. And so we've been able to uh, work with our clients to help them demonstrate that work. And so that's like, to me, as someone who's been in public health and in business, to be able to make that case has always been something that I see as critical moving forward. And so I'm pleased to be a part of that and helping to raise the bar and be a part of, uh, you know, what's going on at these leading employers as well and to support them in their strategies. And so I'm I'm super excited about that and having this conversation continue uh, to have its place at the C-suite and to be able to demonstrate the results um, uh, of well-being for a company. It's super interesting, Jonathan. I, too, um, started in healthcare and have my master's in public health before I kind of took a <laughs> veered to the left and 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 went into uh, business and, and management and pursued my doctorate in that. But as it relates to, you know, people don't think, at least in North America, that employers are the front line of healthcare because we have employer-based healthcare, which is 70 to 80% of healthcare in the U.S. And so as a result, it really is the responsibility, not just because it's the employer providing the healthcare, but also the the impact, you know, it has on productivity and even financial outcomes for the company itself. So I'm I'm very interested in this intersection between you you talked about corporate athletes in in this intersection between human performance and resilience and mental health. So how do you how do you see that actually coming together and um I think you spoke before about kind of that mindfulness that's involved in in being a corporate athlete but can you talk a little bit more about that concept and how you can really equate that kind of human performance element with you know, uh, physical performance with like corporate performance. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and I'd love to hear from each of you on 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 this this too. I haven't cornered this, but I I guess you know, to me, um, the the idea has been, you know, as as a human being, we our, our light shines. How do you make it shine brighter? What does it take to be able to do that? And um, you know, and equilibrium, we're focused on that. Um, and, and, and we come at it through the lens of resilience, but those things that I talked about, those factors of emotion control, positivity, focus, but we also talk about these other factors of like, uh, you know, physical well-being, um, and financial health too. So, um, I, I just want to make sure that I, 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 you know, in talking about, um, this idea of human performance, um, that we talk about it holistically, um, and so um, I've been intrigued about this, and, and you, you asked me um, about the the corporate athlete concept, and that's one that I think uh, is relatable. You know, when we think about athletes, as, as we are recording this right now, the NBA playoffs are on, the finals are occurring, and you think what happens after that is that these players get an off season, they take a break. Now we, the four of us here today, don't have an off season. We're always we're working. We also don't have a career that is five to ten years long. We've got decades to work. When you meet as an employee or a leader, 
um, your quarterly goals, you don't get a break. It doesn't get easier. The expectation is to increase, right? It gets harder. And so the challenge is, so how do you raise your game to be able to meet that expectation? Or do you want to? You know, and and it's like, so we talk about um, there's purpose in here and meaning. And that's, um, you know, all um, part of the game too. And so um, we, in my present job, we focus on this as part of performance and um, as well, but like focusing on purpose and helping people find purpose and meaning as well. And I think that those are all critical too. And so all of this kind of comes together. It's like, how do we raise the game for people? Uh, earlier, I talked about, um, you know, rooting for the underdog. Well, it's, it's always the case. It's like, how do, how do we help people um, be their best version of themselves, whatever that may be? And, and that to me is uh, what this is all about. So good. The Those insights you just had about the ongoing nature of work, right? And when you say it like that, it's like, how in the world do we even do this? This doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical, right? That you could continue at not only that high kind of level of engagement and high, you know, really fast pace, but to even it increases and gets more and more difficult in a lot of ways and more and more in terms of not very much recovery. And unfortunately, I mean, a, a two-week vacation is great, but it's not, it's not that level of recovery, right? Mm-hmm it's a d- way deeper level of recovery that yeah. we're talking about. So yeah, I really, I really appreciate those insights. So one of the things that I'm fascinated about is how organizations support employees who are going through this, right? Cause a lot of the things we tend to talk about are, Hey, you individual person, you know, there's all these things you can do, but the kind of context that they're in, you know, what kind of support they have from managers and leaders and the culture, those things matter so much. Um, I was curious about, you know, maybe any interventions that you've worked on or that have worked well for MeQ, um, examples of like real specific ways um, organizations have shown that kind of support um, to employees. Well, um there are a few that come to mind, but I guess I would say that, um, you know, there are so many ways that employers can um, impact the workforce um, and not just um, from the benefits delivery. That plays one part of it. And the World Health Organization, um, the um, CDC, uh, have some insights about, you know, um, this um, sort of total worker health model and, and and sort of holistic approach here. And that includes um, policies that your organization has, the physical environment and how you stimulate um, sort of productivity. And, and I don't mean to talk about this as base. I mean, like, you know, a physical environment, if you've got well-lit stairs, if you've got walking paths, if you're serving healthy foods, if your vending machines actually turn the food that's in it around so you can see the nutritional content, if you think about the proportions, all, all of these things come into play. Um, your your policies on tobacco, your policies on safety, but are you, do you have a psychologically safe and work, work environment? 
at MeQ, we're focused on psychosocial health as well. That is all of these things that come into play to support people. How do you assess that um, um, as well? And and I don't mean to make soup out of this because I'm bringing up all these different factors, but I want to say that there isn't one thing that an organization could do. It's right. And, and I, I know like you're all aware that, especially in the work, Laura, that you've done um, in the past too, you can see that you can deliver these experiences for people, but you want to have the surround sound experience to uh, create an environment that stimulates growth for your people, that stimulates collaboration, that helps people um, get into the flow, right? That is that state where you can collaborate really effectively. And there's so many things that happen there. And I've seen a variety of things happen, but it's really about an organization. We there used, There's still this term that, you know, a culture of health that's, you know, been discussed at, at conferences over the years and I and I would love to retire it but I just made the mistake of bringing it up here but what I really mean I think it's something that we we strive for here it's like how do you support your people so that um you know you're doing all of those things those air tactics and the ground tactics to make a difference in their lives to make a difference at work too and so um I can tell you that we work with organizations and I've seen this over my career where they're um you know, supporting supporting people either around their mind health or addressing chronic conditions. And, and what I think is critical is for leaders in the organization not just to be a talking head around this, but to um, really demonstrate a commitment, an empathy, a connection around this, and, and demonstrate the value to themselves, to the business, and con continue sustained commitment. When I was at Hess Corporation, our chief financial officer John Riley was the um, person who was the executive sponsor of our program. Now, if you've got the CFO talking about it, that's really interesting. But he didn't just present there. He would participate in events and, and, and connected. And that really helped. It gave a permission. We connected with organizations like the American Cancer Society, the American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, initially to kick things off, where there were um, credible organizations that people knew that were trusted so they could trust us as an organization. And then we identified uh, uh, different companies with whom we could work uh, both on the benefit side, well-being, but corporate health and safety uh, as well. And now what I see in organizations doing is they're connecting the dots to talent and leadership development too, where they're saying, this is critical to our people to have these skills around emotion control, empathy, resilience as well, to be able to recognize signs and symptoms of mental health distress, be able to react with with empathy and positivity and be able to refer with confidence, not to treat people per se, but to be able to do those things, um, you know, and supporting you know, so I'm talking about supporting managers as well uh, on top of that. And I think that like um, those sorts of things impact culture and, and an organization too. And certainly you can have fun. You don't have to be serving celery at, you know, events too. You know, there, there's a time and place for everything too. And, and so I see that without calling out a specific example of one of my clients without their permission too, I will say that I have seen these things happen, but then you're able to measure results too whether it be engagement surveys or the work that Equilibrium does in, in evaluating um, at an aggregate level where there are risks and where there are changes in resilience and connecting the dots to performance, connecting the dots to reduce um, sort of accidents or to uh, productivity or to the medical and pharmacy costs. All of those things come together and, um, you know, are the end results of a lot of work that's done over time to impact culture. Jonathan, this is great. I wanted to double click a little bit on some of the uh, your your final thoughts and your last response. Imagine that we have a a listener listening to the podcast now who's saying, "Oh, this is great stuff. I wish we could have it at our organization." But 
our C-suite doesn't see this as important. They don't see the business case for it. They don't see the competitive edge. What is the business case and the competitive edge that would convince a leader, hey, I, I need to not do it the old way. I need to start to move over. How could you convince them speaking their language and their value system of, let's say, you know, money, stock price, performance? What's the business case to move these people over? Yeah, so we, um, um, so so I will say that a good portion of my career has been spent on making that business case and having to go to uh, the C-suite or or convince people who are appropriately skeptical. Leader, they they should be skeptical. When you you know initially uh, you know years ago you were hearing these returns every dollar invested in well being will see a four to one return whatever without a lot of the, the you know the data to back it up too. Um, there is data out there. Um, organizations like the um, like Hero uh, um, are 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 ones that talk about the data and impact on 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 the business too. Uh, there are a lot. Of, there are examples of great business cases um, out there from. Um, like the one that inspired me to get into this was J and J from years ago, from having their credo as a company to demonstrating results and impact o- over time. Terrific um, global consultants um, out there like Aon, WTW, Mercer, and others as well are, are researching this. And so I would say to someone who is starting this is that others have begun to do that work and look at this, and you can look for those examples. Um, whether it be the American Heart Association or American Cancer Society or the CDC or American Diabetes Association, talking about the uh, efficacy of different interventions in improving health, reducing costs, and impacting productivity. And then what you do is you connect that to what it is that the CEO or the CFO or others are looking at as the measures of profitability in your organization. Is it around um, barrels of oil? Is it around technology sales? Is it around car sales? Is it around accidents? And you connect the dots between um, those pieces and the investment you're going to make. It costs a million dollars, for example, to replace a physician who has been burnt out. So in a health system, you may focus on that or a, a nurse, for example, and talk about, well, how do we reduce that attrition? How do we impact uh, retention or attraction? You find what matters in your business and you can connect that to a research that's been out there. And I hesitate to say this, but I, I'll say it, you know, like I've spent a career in this. And so if you, you know, if anyone listening wants to know, I would be happy to connect them to others in the industry because I believe in, the, um, you know, rising tides float all boats. And I've spent a career that people have supported me in my journey as well. And anyone who's interested in this, I want to be able to support too, because I believe in the power of people to, uh, you know, deliver uh, for businesses and for themselves. And so I would offer that r- ridiculous, uh, you know, <laughs> offer of, of of support. But, you know, I, I'm game for supporting people who are going after this. It's critical. I, I think um, I think that's wonderful. And, and be careful what you wish for, because you might have just opened yourself up. But <laughs> I um, I completely agree that um, this is this is such an important effort in and it's interesting because I've been a marketing professor um, for the past uh, seven, eight years. And oftentimes I my first exercise with my MBA students is to th- put themselves as think of themselves as the consumer, which they are. And I think this is very much similar to that in that 
leaders need to think about, well, can you work well when you're burnt out? And, you know, it's just that self-reflection that sometimes people just don't do. It's kind of this othering or, you know, kind of, oh, we got to think about it over for those people over there. But I mean, everyone has their own experience with this. And I think we have to be more self-aware of how we feel. And then, you know, that helps us to develop the empathy for our our workforces and, and our employees that are on our teams as to how they might be feeling uh, through this as well. Um, you certainly start to see this, I think, with companies saying no emails on the weekends or or things like that. But this has been an amazing half hour. Uh, I can't believe how fast time flew. Um, any kind of final advice you would give to anyone interested in this field? Do you think we're it's really burgeoning and and really starting to gain traction? Or do you feel like the fight is still kind of there, that we're still kind of fighting for these types of, um, for workplaces to really take this seriously? What are, what are your thoughts on that, final thoughts? Yeah, I think that there is uh, ample opportunity. There's been no better opportunity in my career than, than now. And I'm hoping that we continue to see uh, uh, that's the success here, but we have to demonstrate the success as well. We have to demonstrate the impact on people's lives and the performance of the company as well, so that the continued investment will occur. Otherwise, it goes away. And I'm I'm really excited for the future of workforce well-being and resilience as well. And uh, so now's the time for anyone questioning, now is the time to take action. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.